0: You know, I've I've found it to be true, Jamie, maybe you have as well. It's probably twice as easy to have sex as to talk about it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) totally And and I think the failure to talk about it has frustrated a lot of couples. I've worked with some couples where if they would have had a 30-minute conversation 10 years ago, they would have saved themselves a decade's worth of grief.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Jamie White, founder of Finishing Strong. And I wanna thank you for joining us for another podcast. At Finishing Strong, we are dedicated to helping people who are transitioning from working full-time to something else and helping them discover how to live their next season with purpose. Through our website, finishing-strong.org, we provide resources to help guide people in a process to evaluate their gifts, talents, and passions, and to redefine their purpose. Most people spend a lot of time planning financially for this season, but have not considered the significant emotional impact this transition can have. We help them through our weekends, or our online resources to better facilitate that process. Our next weekend, which is gonna be held in Vail, Colorado next month is sold out, but look for updates on our website for future weekends. Today, we're joined by Gary Thomas, author of over 20 books, including Sacred Marriage, Sacred Pathways, Making Your Marriage a Fortress, and one of his most recent books, Married Sex. I'm pleased to welcome Gary Thomas. Gary, thanks for uh, joining us this afternoon. Um, Special treat that I'm talking to you about sex and marriage, and it's Valentine's Day. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now, people won't be very listening to this on Valentine's Day, but you and I are talking about this on Valentine's Day, so a perfect day. So thanks, thanks for taking the time to be with us. You know, you've written you've written over 20 books and and some are on a lot of our bookshelves, and the, especially the sacred series, Sacred Marriage, Sacred Pathways, Sacred Parenting. Um, and then of course, your most recent book, Making Your Marriage a Fortress. But what do you you see special about this book, Married Sex?
0: I've been asked uh, about writing it for a long time. A lot of marriage ministry leaders, you know, will have combined text messages or emails or whatnot. And they just felt like a lot of the material out there was getting dated or it contained Mm. some language that was so guy-centric. It was really kind Mm. of turning off the wives. But Given the climate, and I I just think general wisdom, I didn't think I was the person to write it alone. So I think what has made married sex different, I think why it's gotten a good footing, is that I I chose to co-write it with a woman who's younger with a different skill set. So Deborah Falada, my my co-author, has been married 15 years. I know it sounds like a long time to some, but I've been married 38. Um, She's a counselor, where I'm a pastor and a spiritual writer. She can remember what it was like earlier on. I can talk about issues later on. She has the counseling skills to deal with the relational stuff and psychological stuff. I can deal with the scriptural stuff. And you never know, Jamie, when you're partnering, how it's going to turn out. I couldn't have been more pleased. Just to have her refining my own words and for us to be able to join our strengths, I'm I might sound terrible to say it, but I'm really proud of the book that came out. I believe it's a very well-rounded book that addresses men's and women's issues so that the men will feel heard, the women will feel heard, the couple will be lifted up. Uh, We were just excited to get this out to married couples. That's awesome. Well, I, I really
1: appreciated it. I appreciated having the two sides of the story. I appreciated in, in the book where you're like, hey, this is De- this is Deborah talking. Ah, this is Gary talking and kind of getting getting those perspectives. And I love some of the other interviews you've done where you guys can go back and forth and and give those perspectives. And such a topic. Now I wish I'd had this book. Uh, decades ago, uh, when, when we got married. And, and I, uh, I will give it to people uh, early in their marriage now is, is a great wedding gift. So uh, man, I just appreciate what you guys have, have accomplished and the candor and the transparency that's in the book. So I get, to, I get to ask some of the questions that I've been wanting to ask ever since since I read it and, and I've heard it. So here's a few. So you guys say that 80% of the marriages, 80% struggle with sexual intimacy. Why, why do you think that is?
0: Yeah. Well, what we discover is there are really five major roadblocks that hold people back. Um, the first one is often theological, Uh, For people of faith, they just think God is against sex. Even if they're not of faith, they think somehow there's something naughty about it or whatnot. And so we really try to lay the groundwork about how the Bible doesn't just tolerate sex. It celebrates it to get rid of the theological roadblock. Then there's the psychological roadblock. And this is where Deborah carries the day. People have guilt. They have shame. They have hurt or abuse in the past. And so they sort of go into marriage already with some really difficult notions about sex or hangups about sex or unhealthy patterns of thinking about sex. And that has to be dealt with. Uh, The third thing are the relational issues. So often in marriage, if there's a relational breakdown, it's impacting what's happening in the bedroom. So the way to fix what's going on sexually isn't necessarily to talk about what's happening in the bed. It's what's happening outside of the bedroom. If you're dealing with issues of anger or control or disrespect or unforgiveness, all of those things, that they're really relational issues more than they're they're sexual issues. I had one wife one time that told me, Gary, I'd love to have a more fulfilling sexual relationship with my husband, but everything I do is wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't drive right. I don't cook right. I don't clean right. I don't raise the kids right. And so I know at the end of the day, Sex is one more thing that I'm disappointing Mm. him with, and I'm tired of disappointing him all day long. And so she has no problem with wanting more sexual intimacy. She just doesn't want to be criticized. So that's not really a sexual issue as much as it's a relational issue. So you have theological, psychological, relational. The fourth one is physical. Deborah opened me up to this because she, she works more directly with couples. When I'm working with couples, often it's more premarital couples or ones that aren't specifically on sexual issues and she would talk about couples been married several years where the couples neither the husband or wife would know the name of the wife's sexual organ and so mm, I mean it, there are just things call. sex is a physical sport like anything I mean one sense like like tennis or or golf I mean there are certain mechanics that you would do well to learn and so the book deals with those and then the fifth one, uh, and this, frankly, is what made the book more explicit than I thought it would be, is the problem of boredom. Mm. When you're doing something with someone for not just a couple years, but 10 years, 20 years. My wife and I have been married 38 years. How do you bring creativity into an act that has become so regular throughout your life? And the challenge, of course, is it's a little embarrassing and not very wise. If in a small group, people start sharing what they're doing to spice things up in the bedroom, you wouldn't believe what we did Saturday night. It was so incredible. You know, that's it's creepy and not helpful and dangerous. But we polled or interviewed over a thousand couples And so in the anonymity of writing, being able to change details and names, couples were able to share, you know, this really made a difference. Or we finally discovered this. And when we get into the chapter on the senses about how smell has made a difference, how some wives have brought that in, different forms of touch and taste and and hearing and the big impact of that. And so you can be inspired by, oh, this really worked for them. We've never thought about that. Uh, And I I think that chapter is important for other reasons uh, in that I think when we talk about sex so often, particularly guys, we're thinking intercourse. And the whole journey to that place can be wonderful, even if that place isn't possible because of age-related or disease-related issues, you can still technically have sexual fulfillment in in many ways we we can get into that later but but those are really the five things i think that need to be addressed there's the theological psychological relational physical and boredom
1: yeah yeah you guys did an amazing job of that and i don't I don't know of any other book in the in the faith community that was so transparent, that was so clear, It was so cutting edge to just be able to talk about that in, in and in a free way, which is so so about talking about that, uh, it is one of the most uncomfortable conversations we we seem to have. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about it with our friends. It's not typically over breakfast. You know, and it's, again, especially in the Christian community. Uh we uh, it's uncomfortable and sometimes awkward to talk about it just with our spouse, even whether you you're just referring to the parts. I don't have a name for the part, you know, or what what's good? What do you like? What do you not like? Why is why is this conversation so uncomfortable? One and then two, give us a roadmap, give us a roadmap of three easy questions or some sort of little pattern to say, all right, at least start with this.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I I've I've found it to be true. Jamie, maybe you have as well. It's probably twice as easy to have sex as to talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> totally. And, agree. and I think the failure to talk about it has yeah. frustrated a lot of couples. Yeah. I've worked with some couples where if they would have had a 30-minute conversation 10 years ago, they mm-hmm. would have saved themselves a decade's worth of grief. And, and here's some different patterns I think couples get into. And I think this is one that that I've fallen into as well. You have a desire or you have a hope, but you don't express it. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. you resent it when your spouse doesn't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that's not fair. And what we need is the courage to say, and again this is where you have to be careful not in a condemning way why don't you ever why don't we ever really fr- it's just like you know as I've been wondering you think it might be fun if or it might be meaningful or this might it, it, in a state of vulnerability you express it you need that courage to really address it in uh, in marriage sexuality but then Jamie here's the thing you also need the skill to self soothe sex, to do. sex to self Self okay. Sex is a two-person sport. And I might say something to a spouse that maybe it's moral and it would be wrong to try to coerce a spouse to do something they felt was immoral. Maybe it's just unpleasant to them. Maybe it would feel demeaning or degrading or something that they just don't feel interested in. And so... When I say you need the courage to ask, you also have to start How do I self-soothe afterwards? And Mm -hmm. and some of that, the intellectual skills is that you recognize. I've said this with guys a lot of times. They might obsess about one thing their wife doesn't want to do. And I'll say, look, there are a thousand things a couple can do in bed. Probably more than that if you really get creative. Don't, Don't downplay the power of your sexual relationship because one of those thousand things is off the table. If you're resentful, if you're pounding, you're going to wreck everything that that you can. And, you know, just in human nature, it's just not very mature when if we can't have everything we want, we wreck what we can have. Uh, and that's just uh, not a, a healthy place to be. Deborah has a whole section as a counselor where she says, this is how you talk about sex. She recommends things like, you know what, it's usually better to bring it up Uh when you're not in the middle of it uh, Absolutely. at a safe place and an encouraging thing. I really enjoy this about our relationship. This has meant a lot. You could say, what is your favorite sexual memory? Um, what do I do that really pleases you? Is there something I do or don't do that disappoints you or isn't as exciting to you as I might think it is? I would start out with those vulnerable questions hoping that that would elicit your spouse to perhaps participate as well. It may not, but you're opening the door. The other thing I would say, and not because a lot of couples have done it is read married sex together and the topics come up, listen to it on audio. If you want, Deborah reads her chapters. I read mine, but it's a way to start talking about it without having to initiate, okay, we're reading this chapter. And so then you can pause and say, okay, Oh, is this true for you? Is this not true for you? Um, but I, I do think if we would just talk about it, uh, w- we would see a major improvement. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to challenge someone who's listening now. Maybe. Turn it off.
1: Turn it off for a second. If your spouse was listening to this with you yeah, just ask some questions, you know, it's, it's off, off the schedule. No pressure. Uh, but grab the book, uh, read some of the questions that Deborah uh, gives as prompts, and uh, and just give it a try. Go ahead and lean into this—the awkward conversation that we all know is awkward. So that that's super helpful. You also talk about three markers of healthy sexual intimacy. Right. What can you unpack those for us a little bit?
0: Yeah. First, it should be mutually pleasurable. There was a time, I think, a generation ago. When some wives were told that sex is for the husband, he Mm -hmm. needs it in a way you don't. Uh, If you don't give it to him, he might sin. That's a great way to creep a wife out. It's a great way to destroy the joy and intimacy of it. And Mm -hmm. frankly, Jamie, I bet you believe this is true as well. To a healthy guy, nothing is more exciting than a sexually excited wife, even Mm -hmm. more than our own pleasure. Uh, nobody wants to be serviced, I don't think. Uh, I mean, that really even sounds awful to me, much less trying to experience it. I mean, I suppose some guys do because that's the whole point behind some gross things like prostitution. but I, I, I don't think that I, I think a guy has slipped when he's pursuing that kind. Of, so it should yeah. be mutually pleasurable. And the song of songs one, two, the very second verse, of a book in the Bible about sexual intimacy begins with the wife saying she has no greater pleasure in life than when her husband is making love to her. Now, women today have all kinds of pleasures. Sexual pleasure may not be their highest pleasure, but it at least shows God's intention revealed in his word that women should have an expectation that this was made for them. This is God's gift to them um, that they can enjoy it so mutual pleasure is a big thing secondly it should be building up the relationship it should make the two of you feel closer together if something sounds exciting to me but it makes my wife feel diminished or Mm -hmm. degraded or not seen or if i'm just lusting after her if i'm just sounds terrible to say, but if I'm using her for sexual release, but she's not a person and her pleasure isn't there, you can be having sex, but it's destroying the relationship. It should be a point of gratitude and positive memories for both um, partners. Uh, You know, I've I've mentioned when I've been talking about this book that as much as we want to improve things in the bedroom, what we're really looking forward to, and I, I, I tell an account where Lisa and I had to do some scheming, to have sex on a cruise ship because we, we were sharing a cabin with our daughters and they had keys and we couldn't lock them out. <laughs> when we were successful, I talked about a special moment at dinner now with our kids and we were happy to be with our kids. You know, when you, <laughs> you want to be intimate, you want to get the kids out of there, but we were happy to be with our kids. But those smiles that we shared, I look at yeah. Lisa, she looks at me. Nobody else knew. It's a very wonderful Private thing. It's a very special thing, and and just remembering it. And and we just want to create those smiles. That healthy sex builds the relationship. It makes you feel closer. And then third, and I say this as a as a Christian, I think it should be worshipful. I think mm. it should honor God because I believe Jamie that we have fallen desires. Every one of us, in every way, the way I think, the way I feel, what I believe. It's, it's all affected by what Christians call the fall. Sin mm-hmm. infects everything I do now I, in Christ. Hopefully the Holy spirit is redeeming me and shaping me, but I do believe probably all of us have sexual desires that wouldn't be healthy, that would destroy us. And from that worldview, some repression, which the world thinks is harmful, I think is necessary. And so I want Sexual intimacy to honor the God who created it and who designed it, to do sexual intimacy in the way that that pleases God, that honors the, who I am as a man and my wife as a woman. Um, and I say this because I've, I've talked to a lot of couples, and especially if a guy's watched a lot of porn. Some of the things that a guy suddenly wants to do, I believe have been cultivated. He's in a semi-aroused state. He's watching another woman enjoy it. And so suddenly he's attached to that. He wants to bring it into the bedroom. And I sincerely believe if he wasn't watching porn, he would not want the mother of his child to do that. He wouldn't look at her that way. So for me, consent isn't enough. Just my consent, my wife's consent. Does God consent? Now, fortunately, and the book stresses this, God consents to a lot of very creative intensely pleasurable lovemaking so i don't think that's a limitation in fact i think what it does is it makes sure that not only is sex pleasurable but afterwards there isn't that there isn't that shame there isn't that guilt it's wow, isn't god good that he yes. created us to do this so you know in golf they
1: talk about the the swing thought right what's your swing thought when you're about to hit the ball I, help me with the swing thought for making it worshipful. That's not that's not a that's not a natural thought. And yet, what a what a great marker as you describe for for really healthy intimacy. What's what's that? How, how do I create that in my mind that this is going to be worshipful?
0: Well, I know a number of couples that talk about and teachers that talk about praying before mm-hmm. and after, uh, and thanking God for that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm a big father. Not only do I believe in God's revealed law, I believe in natural law. I think the fact that God made my wife with a body part that has no other purpose than sexual pleasure is God's invitation for me to give my wife sexual pleasure. For me, it is embracing how many different forms of sexual pleasure there can be. Chapter that changed my life, it sounds funny because I wrote it, was just the five (laughs) senses of sex. Yeah, Yeah. How hearing can enhance the pleasure of sexuality. Thinking about smelling and sight and taste and touch, that God created my body this way. You know, as a young man, again, I think of sex, I'm thinking of intercourse. And that's a wonderful part of the experience, but there is so much more. And so worshipful is just making love to my wife the way that God designed it to happen, which also makes me suspicious of these activities that porn would produce that aren't natural, that could be harmful. Uh, And I I think of things like BDSM, you know, the bondage Mm -hmm. thing that the Fifty Shades of Grey made so popular. Mm -hmm. Um, I have real concerns about it. When Paul says the works of the flesh, he's talking to Colossians, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Well, BDSM has sort of all of those. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm never not a Christian. And an act that would make me act in malice or be demeaning or controlling really it, it, it causes me concern. And reality, again, go to natural law. If you get sexual pleasure from feeling a certain kind of pain, I'm not I'm not talking about a little playful stuff here, but when you get into it where you're really causing pain, you, your your brain tolerates that pain. So to get the same thrill next time you need more pain and then more pain and then more degradation, well, in a lifelong monogamous relationship, you're you're going to run into problems, right? Because I'm planning to make love to this person for decades, not just a Few months. And so I, I want to have a form of sexuality that will age well. And so yeah. many of the world's substitutes that you see in porn and in erotica novels, I don't think they age well. I don't think they set themselves up for uh, marital romance. I mean, just, Jamie, yeah. you know, the whole <laughs> thing of the red room that was in Fifty Shades of Gray. How yeah. many parents with kids? can create a sex room. I mean, it's just, I just, seriously, I just, you know, maybe they can't, but uh, you know, I I think it's, it's recognizing that God made sex to be really good and really pleasurable, but also to fulfill my soul. And that's when I seek Mm. for God's consent, what he reveals in his word and what he reveals through natural law. I really want to govern what happens in the bedroom.
1: Yeah, thanks. Well, speaking of aging and uh, sex growing with age, right, if, in in this ministry of finishing strong, uh, a lot of the people that uh, are coming to the weekends and, and uh, you know, maybe listening and kind of following us online, right, we're in our 50s and 60s, and uh, things are just different at, at this age. And so, what what would you what would you counsel us in the fifties and sixties? How do we how do we get out of some of these uh, stuck patterns? These maybe stuck conversations or lack of conversations. What's a what's a pathway out at this age where we kind of have to, you know, kid, kids aren't around. Um, we've got time. Times times not a, a worry anymore. But it's just we're we're with each other now. What's
0: what's the unstuck? Yeah, you know, I heard a doctor talking about this, where everything has changed in the last decade, because of, and it's been an enormous change, um, Viagra, Levitra, Cialis, there might be another one, I don't know, and I might have said one of those wrong, but, but the drugs that make it possible for many men to keep Uh, being sexually active in previous generations when couples might've just given up the challenges What the doctor pointed out, is that it's a disappointment to some wives. They're kind of thinking, look, I put in my duty. We've had kids enough already. Can we just go? So for most guys, certainly a lot of guys, it's like, yes. All right. I don't have to say this is over. And the wives are just kind of like kind of wish it was over. And so, um, I think one of the best ways to deal with that to, for for men is to go back is it and has it been mutually pleasurable. If I could just be explicit, I don't think most wives are done with having orgasms. Mm-hmm. I think they're done with being used. I mm-hmm. think they're done with just being a release for their providing a release for their husband. So if we go back to being mutually pleasurable, I think we open up the gateway then to what can happen uh, in the future. Dr. David Schnarch was really one of the the premier sexual therapists and writers. He died a year and a half ago, I think, but it's left behind just a legacy of his research and writings. And he stresses that genital prime and sexual prime are two very different things. Genital prime is... 20-year-olds are probably in the best shape to have the physical mechanics of sex down pat without hindrances and whatnot, but the relationship isn't mature enough. Mm -hmm. And and Schnarch would say you you can be in your, at least earliest in your 40s, 50s, and 60s when you reach your sexual prime, because a healthy sexual relationship isn't just physical, it's relational, it can even be spiritual for those of us who are believers, I was speaking at a marriage conference one time. It was a large for, for counselors. And a group of people tagged me over. I was coming in at lunch. They were all on the table saying, Gary, come here, come here, come here. The whole table, <laughs> whole table was sexual therapists. You know, how does this happen? And they're asking me questions. I'm talking to them. They all agreed, everyone, that they thought sexual prime for most marriages didn't hit until about 20 years and beyond. So that's, that's a good ways in your marriage if you getting married at 30. Then you're just getting into your 50s. And you know, I found with Lisa, uh, our empty nest years really opened up a new chapter one. You can have sex at seven o'clock if you want. You get tired sooner, but, but, but nobody's in the house. So there yeah. you go. Uh, it can be a lot more enjoyable. If you decide in the morning, you don't have to worry about whether the kids are going to come in or be there. Uh, and and you, you know each other. And so I think there can be a renaissance of enjoyment uh, and even sexual activity as you get older. Some things may be taken off the table uh, there are some positions Lisa and I will never get in again, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I tell young guys, if they're listening, you know, enjoy those while you can. It might be a fun part, but as bodies get older, they don't bend and move in the same way. <laughs> um, but but here's a, a, a thing that I was really challenged by. In my last book, I interviewed a couple. That was from Making Your Marriage a Fortress. Uh, Daryl, who had MS, And he'd been Mm. a huge athlete, he could bench press 400 pounds. And he was just an athlete all all around. He got MS, it was devastating, and it chipped away at his physical capacities, until he went from, you know, walking to walking with a cane, to walking Mm. with a walker, to being in a wheelchair, and now in a motorized scooter and whatnot. So every night when he's going to bed, he can you know, drive his chair right up to the bed. And with his arms, he can still lift his body up onto the bed, but he can't get his legs over. He needs his wife to come and and move the legs over. And he said, you know, part of me just wants to feel sorry for myself and say, look, why don't I just have her sure. do it? This is ridiculous. It's, it's a little bit humbling. But he said, but Gary and Jamie, this has changed my view of marriage. I think mean, it'll change your view of sex, but all of marriage as well. He said, I am committed to, and and, well, let me set up. He said, let's say I can only do 20% of what I used to be able to do physically. I am 100% committed to doing 100% of that 20%. I can't do everything I used to do, but I will do 100% of what I can do. And there will be some things that age takes away sexually. And, And instead of just saying, look, if we can't do everything, we can't do that, Let's just forget about it because it's frustrating. No, don't punish yourself for getting older. Instead, say, we're going to do 100% of the 80% or 100% of the 50%. Maybe we get down to 20%. Let's do 100% of that 20%. And so when I was counseling a guy who went through prostate cancer, which especially early on can have huge repercussions for sexual performance, yeah, for a while, and maybe never. You might not be able to do this or that, but do what you can. You, in fact, you can still please your wife. You, there are things other than, if I can say this word, your penis, with which you can satisfy a wife. And it's so easy just to say, "Well, if we can't do everything, we're not going to do anything." Yeah. Whereas, I would say, don't take away what God hasn't. In fact, there's studies, Jamie, that oxytocin is released. If you just hold each other naked, hugging Mm. each other naked can have great bonding impact on your brain. So maybe you can't physically do anything but just hold each other. Well, enjoy that. Still enjoy that closeness and that connection that you wouldn't share with someone else. So, you know, I think going in, we have to recognize, I think there are great benefits, There are great challenges, but our attitude has to be, what if, what if this could be some of the best years? Dr. Snarsh would say, look, um, your best years could still be ahead of you. It's going to be different. It's not going to be like that, the almost animalistic desire for each other, rip off our clothes that you had early on in the sexual relationship, but it can be much more satisfying, much more fulfilling, and ultimately much more enjoyable. Uh, if you look at sexual prime, instead of just genital prime. That's awesome. Thanks. So you're you, you're sitting across the
1: table from a couple uh, men so far have been coming to our weekends, but let's say it's a couple across the, and they're 65 years old. And they just say, Gary, we just, we want to improve the intimacy at this stage of our life. We just want a few things. Can you help us take some steps to improve the intimacy in our in our sexual life what what are what are
0: two two or three things you would tell them yeah i would think especially at that age a couple of the chapters from married sex that we've gotten a lot of feedback on would be simmering and the Mm. song of songs models this sometimes we have to get our minds in gear often the wife needs to do this or not The notion of scheduled sex sounds horrendous to people. They would wreck it. Just about every couple I've talked to about it has come back and said, it's one of the best things they ever did because it gives you time to engage your mind. One woman realized, okay, Friday night is a night for us. So she takes her time at the bath. She tries to, or the shower, she tries to make the shower a sensual experience. She thinks about what clothes she's going to wear, even what she's wearing under her clothes. Uh, her husband knows that it's difficult for her being an active mom, mm-hmm. to separate being a mom from being a, you know, a a wife. That's really you to go. So her husband knows when he gets home, he brings dinner home. So she doesn't have to cook. He pays off the babysitter so she can go up and take a bath and get ready and just kind of yeah. be removed from being a mom. And at first she thought it was terrible. The thought of scheduled sex, she sounded awful. And now she says, she looks forward to it because she spends the day, <laughs> simmering. The Song of Songs has a guy literally bringing to his mind his favorite parts of his wife. It, it can sound so yeah. objectifying, but he's enamored with her eyes and her hair and her breasts and her legs and, and all of that. And he's And if the Bible is modeling it like that, I believe not only is it saying it's not prohibited for a man to think about his wife that way, it's actually encouraging men to do that and prescribing it. And sometimes we have to just do it for my wife and I throughout our marriage. I I think where we're unusual is we've had pretty equal libidos. That's a big issue for couples where one wants Mm -hmm. a lot more than the others. Ours have been the same. And sometimes I can get distracted. And as I get older, I can get tired And if I come home and I'm laying down and reading, I can start to fall asleep. And so one night after we were going to try it two or three times, Lisa finally says to me in the morning, all right, Gary, we're having sex tonight at nine o'clock and it's not optional. (laughs) Plan your day accordingly. And it was, was, you know, I'm nervous about a guy saying that to his wife because, you know, there could be other dynamics there. But for a wife to say that to her husband, she's basically saying, Gary, it's game day. (laughs) <laughs> just as I wouldn't go run a marathon, if I was going to play in the Super Bowl that evening, I've got my marital Super Bowl, I need to conserve my strength and plan my I actually liked it, I could love that get my game. In. So I would say to the couple, I'm sorry, long learn how to simmer. And the chapter has a lot of ideas about how couples have learned how to do that. Secondly, learn the senses. Again, if I could do anything, and I do this with Couples on their honeymoon, as well as older couples, because guys often are thinking when they first get married, again, it means intercourse. I'm saying learn each other's body. Sometimes enjoy each other without that. Learn what touches feel good. Make it last longer. Figure out different kinds of touches in different ways. And I would say that to older people as well. It is so easy to get into routine. The studies show that if you listen to music during sex, it awakens other parts of your brain. Certain cultivating smell can be a a, a big thing. Um, Different kinds of touch, even using different things than just your hands to experience that. And it's why women often like lotions or oils uh, more than men. Taste was the most controversial isn't the right word, but yeah. Couples seem to disagree about taste more than anything. Some people like to incorporate food and whatnot. Others like, no, nope, no, nope, it stays in the kitchen. Don't need to bring it in the bedroom. That's fine. But just figure out what works for you. But I would say expand your definition of sex, especially if, guys, if there's a lot of erectile dysfunction or something that's going on. Instead of worrying about performing for your wife, which can bring all kinds of anxiety, and in some cases make it worse if it's psychologically based, just say, I can pleasure my wife. And I have a lot of tools to pleasure my wife. If one tool is out of commission, there are other tools I can use. And then as she gets excited and pleased, often that will excite the husband and maybe things turn around. If not, you still have a pleased and grateful wife. And that's a great way to end the day. So those are really two things I would really recommend learn how to simmer, broaden the sexual experience beyond just thinking of it as intercourse. That's great. That's great. So, I put those into the the pro categories,
1: things that we can do, uh, actions we can take. Those those are those are great practical steps, that we just we just don't hear very often. So thank you for that. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a few things from Lisa. And I, I put them I put several quotes into kind of a bundle of things that I want to read and then ha- have you respond to it because I I believe after reading the book, I think this may be one of our uh, and maybe our biggest impediment or at least one of the, the biggest areas where we can we in particular as men but I think as couples can 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 make big strides and so she said I've got four different uh, quotes from now her. when you say you're quoting Lisa are you quoting Deborah? I I, I said De- Lisa I'm sorry Deborah. Yeah. Deborah. Yeah. De- De- yeah, Deborah's Sillica. the co-author all right yeah, sorry me. about that not Lisa <laughs> I, I, I'm not quoting um so she says, what happens above the sheets impacts what happens below the sheets. She says, before you touch my body, touch my soul. And she says, if you want to arouse my body, you have to arouse my heart. And then she said, it's more about the relationship than it is the release. Those all kind of fit into one. What, what do you think we as couples should hear and that? And I'll say, especially couples are 50s and 60s, what should we walk away with uh, hearing those, those four admonitions?
0: You know, when she says, before you touch my body, touch my soul, I think of a wife who told me, Gary, if my husband would just pray with me, he wouldn't be able to oh. handle me in bed. So hmm. he'd be crying uncle long before the <laughs> night. And and that's exactly what she said. Before you touch my body, touch my soul. If you're praying for me and with me, if we're together, it's natural for me to want to be intimate and close with you. And so guys, if you want to be more sexual with your wife in that sense, think about being more spiritual with your wife and not in a transactional way. I'll pray with you if you have sex with me. Your wife's going to smell that out. But it's just seeking a deeper relationship. Ultimately for guys, And some people are so, they're just awful toward guys acting like it's just a physical release. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For most guys, it, it really is spiritual and it's relational. The way God made our brains, the oxytocin that's released when we have sex, many times we'll never feel closer to our wives than immediately following a sexual encounter. Because when we have sex with our wives, our brains are flooded with oxytocin, which is a bonding chemical. It's a neuropeptide that really makes us feel close. Um, and that kind of explains the whole concept behind makeup sex. You know, you're thinking mm-hmm. if, if there's dissonance and the guy's thinking, oh no, am I losing her? Are we distant? I don't feel close to her. His mind might go, if we have sex, I always feel closer. And he wants to have sex. Now, some wise thinks that's exciting. Some wise, are, are you out of your mind? You know, and <laughs> and and you don't want to use yeah. sex as um as a band-aid over a serious problem. Eventually you want to, now that you're close together, deal with the underlying issues, but it's just recognizing that the physical act of sex is just part of the relational and spiritual dynamics. And so instead of just focusing on the positions or how do I make this more exciting or whatnot, I just, when I see this with a lot of younger writers and podcasters, I don't I don't want to sound negative because I get it, but they're often so focused on, oh, this will make it feel better, or, these positions, or they have these. And I'm like, yeah, I think at a certain point, you grow to where it's just a wonderful relational experience. This is how we feel closer to each other. And for the most part, our body parts and our five senses are powerful tools and, um, and can make sex feel different. Uh, let me give you an example. This is this is maybe getting more explicit than you want for your podcast. Okay, but, but we talked yeah. about hearing. If a wife's voice is insistent, if it's moaning, if it's laughing, if it's pleading, if it's silent. Those are five very different sexual experiences where her voice is like this instrument creating a whole different sexual climate. And and so that's where I think the repertoire is so much broader than we often realize. And so I would just say, um, focus on the whole relationship. You want to connect with each other. It does help you feel close to each other if you're not using each other. Um, and and I would say, I, I do think David Schnarch is right. If, if I was going to use my wife and my own experience, it does get better. Your best years really can be ahead of you. Even mm-hmm. if physically, you don't bend the way you used to, the experience itself can be far more satisfying.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well, thanks for the encouragement uh, and the insights uh, for, for all of us. So you're barely sixty, right? It's in, in your early sixties. Sixty-one. Sixty-one. That's still barely, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, how are how are you going to be living out this next season of your life, finishing strong, living with purpose? What's that look like for for Gary and Lisa Thomas?
0: Yeah, this is sort of apart from my marriage, but it certainly incorporates my marriage. I was just convicted reading one of the Christian classics. I don't remember which one. About the shortness of our days, and when you're in your Mm. 20s and 30s, they feel pretty cheap, almost like pennies. You think there's going to be so many more, and I could—I mean, my dad's 93. If I live to be his age, I've got—I've only lived two thirds of my life. Um, I may not. I may only have another day. But I'm committed to trying to make every day a best day—not—not the best day. Look, if somebody's listening and they're going through cancer or A child is in severe distress or something. But how do I make choices throughout the day to really treasure this day that we're in? And so when I was away with my wife, I was on a speaking trip. How do I make this a best day for her? What can we do that she really enjoys? You know, she really likes to take walks outside and we found a place, went around Chattanooga by the river. It was just beautiful. And then how do I make it meaningful for me? That's usually good conversations it's a great filter for my entertainment. I just feel different if I'm reading a good novel than if I'm watching silly sitcoms. Uh, And and so I'm just trying to, how do I make today a best day uh, instead of just letting them go from one into the other? It's just been a good filter for me. What I don't wanna do, what I do wanna do. Like today, I've got a long day, I've got an evening class got up really, did a lot of work. Felt like I didn't have time. I said, you know what? I really need to get a run in at Washington Park. Uh, we're going to have a very cold day tomorrow. As, well, you wouldn't know here in Mexico <laughs> hey, if you were hey. here um, <laughs> with a lot of more snow. The snow has finally almost melted everywhere. Now we're yeah, looking like five so more inches yeah. tomorrow. But <laughs> so get, get a good run in. For me, being out of doors and getting a run in and whatnot um, is good. And so, The advantage we have in our 60s to do that is removed from the active parenting. We do tend to have more time. Uh, We do tend to have a freer schedule where I can just do that. Uh, And I'm really enjoying it. So when I have my morning tea, I really try to taste it. I try to be thoughtful about my uh, recreation and really trying to redeem the evenings because I do get tired more in the evenings. and, And that's when I'm instead of reading i'm just watching things that it's not like scandalous but it's just is this going to be a good end to a great day or am i just sort of you know limping in and you know don't it's not memorable and it's not recreational it's not refreshing it's not inspirational
1: I appreciate that. I hear, I hear intentionality in, in a lot of that, uh, in, in, in how you're spending your time and what you're doing with your attitude, both in your actions. So thank you very much. And thank you for, again, spending time on Valentine's Day, talking about married sex. And uh, so I hope people will, when, when they hear this, uh, watch this, will remember Valentine's Day, get the book. It's, it really is, I think, It's one of the best books ever written on on sex, whether it's Christian, uh, your person of faith or not. I just think it's one of the best books written that gives couples the chance to to talk about it, gives some great practical solutions and but also is just inspiring and it's hopeful, creates hope uh, in relationships if, if this is an area of struggle. So again, Gary, thanks so much for being with thanks us here Jamie. today. We appreciate that. We look forward to the next book when the kind of, ever going to come out. Cause I know, I know they come out pretty frequently and, uh, we, we really appreciate this one. So look forward to seeing you again sometime.
0: Thanks, Jamie. Thanks.
1: Yeah. thanks to all of you for joining us today. You can get a link to Gary's books in our show notes or at garythomas.com. Please do yourself a favor, do your marriage a favor and get all of his books. But first, go out and get married sex. We look forward to joining you soon for another Finishing Strong podcast.